When we begin a worship service, the way we do on All Saints Sunday, we remember. We remember the lives of those that we love who have gone before us. And we remember what they looked like, and their personal qualities, and our relationships to them. But mostly, we remember the stories, the moments that we shared with them that still linger in our hearts. We remember them by their stories. Now, on this particular All Saints Sunday, we're celebrating it as part of a year-long reading of the entire Bible. So as we gain a high-altitude, wide-angle view of the grand sweep of the entire Bible, we begin to realize something, that all of us, in fact, we are all part of the same story. It's the story of God's expansive love for the whole world, and all of us are a part of it. So the question that is before us today is whether we will step into that same story and make it a part of our own, just like our spiritual ancestors did. Acts 15 contains what I think is the final defining moment in the Bible. By that I mean that it is the last of a series of significant crossroad moments that determine the trajectory of God's story. The Old Testament story, in a way, goes like this. I mean, it begins with creation, includes the covenant with Abraham and David and the exodus and the exile, and essentially tells us that God is our God, and we are God's people. It starts with the grandeur of the whole creation and reminds us that we have an exclusive relationship with God. We are claimed, we are chosen, and we are called to live in a certain way. And then comes Jesus. And then the New Testament story goes like this. It's the story of how God shifts from being exclusively being for the Israelites to being for an ever-widening circle of people. The Canaanite woman, the Samaritan, the Roman centurion in the Gospels. Go into the world, Jesus says in Matthew 28, to make disciples of all people. And then we get to Acts 1, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, and then Acts 2 with a laundry list of different people at the time of Pentecost, and then Peter's vision in Acts 10 where God calls him to bring the gospel to the world beyond the Jews. Each of these defining moments in the grand story of God. The Old Testament is about being chosen, called, and commanded to live a holy life. And the New Testament is about receiving, believing, and eventually sharing the love of Jesus with all people. That's the Bible in a nutshell. That's the story that you and I get to step into. And the last great defining moment is in Acts 15. Today's scripture reading, because it is here that the earliest followers of Jesus had to make a pivotal choice about how wide they would expand the circle of God's love. And as I recap this story for you, remember, this story is part of our ancestry. It's part of our DNA. And just as it was a defining moment for the history of the church, it can be and it should be a defining moment for you about how you will choose to live and relate to other people across our differences and generously share God's love with the world today. So here's the story. The earliest Christians were Jews who were raised in Jewish traditions. As the good news of Jesus began to spread to faraway non-Jewish countries, these Jewish Christians began to hear rumors of how these Gentile Christians were being baptized and welcomed into the fellowship without being circumcised. Now, these group of Jewish law Christians said to these Gentile Christians, 
you cannot be saved unless you're circumcised. You, you cannot be a Christian unless you first become a Jew. If you don't accept the law, Christ will not accept you. That's what they said. And what's interesting here is that that act of circumcision is referred to as a custom in verse 1, but as a law in verse 5. Now that in and of itself gives you an idea of where the disagreement was. Because there is a difference between a law and a custom. A custom is a tradition, a practice that is helpful and meaningful, but not necessarily essential. But a law is a rule. It's non-negotiable. So the question was, is circumcision to be considered a custom or a law for those Gentiles who want to become Christians? You know, it's funny how that very difference between law and custom lies at the heart of so many of our most bitter divisions today, not just in the church, but in the world. When we have disagreements about what is essential and non-essential in our beliefs and practices, it's like two sides that are speaking different languages. Acts 15 is about how our ancestors figured out a way to resolve this difference in a way that God's love could be shared with more and more people. So that led to a high-stakes meeting of church leaders from around the empire. The Gentile Christians sent a delegation from the city of Antioch. Those included Paul and Barnabas to make the case for the Gentiles. Now you would expect that when Paul and Barnabas arrived, those entrenched Jewish law Christians would have been ready for war, ready to attack them with, with campaign ads and mailers and media surrogates and talking points and internet trolls. But instead, Acts 15 verse 4 suggests that when Paul and Barnabas arrived, they were welcomed. We get the sense immediately that in this early community of faith, dialogue mattered. Everyone had a voice. Everyone took time to listen, to empathize, to hear each other's story, and to recognize that in some significant way, they were all part of the same story. Now, in the passage that we heard read for us earlier, Peter was the first to take the microphone and address the floor. He gave a stirring speech that day. He basically said, look, friends, we have known from the beginning that God's love doesn't belong to any one of us. God sees those who are different from us in exactly the same way that God sees each of us. God begins in the heart of all of us and then moves us to trust and belief in transforming our lives. And I love how Eugene Peterson translates the rest of Peter's speech in the message. Peter said to them, quote, so why are you now trying to out-God God? loading these new believers down with rules that crushed our ancestors and crushed us too. Don't we believe that we are saved because the master Jesus, amazingly, and out of sheer generosity, moved to save us just as he did those from beyond our nation? What are we fussing about, Peter said. I wouldn't have wanted to follow Peter in that moment, but there were other beautiful speeches given that day. Paul and Barnabas got up and gave their witness too about the signs and wonders that God was doing among the Gentiles. And then everyone got quiet. And God spoke in the silence. And after a moment, James took the floor. James, the, the very brother of Jesus Christ himself. He was now a leader in the church. And after listening, he got up and spoke 
And he placed all that they had heard in the context of scripture. And he said plainly, look, it is God's will that Gentiles become followers of Jesus since it is the fulfillment of the prophet Amos. And after all that, the Jerusalem council didn't take a vote. They discussed, they prayed, they looked at each other, they leaned into their differences, and they treated others with respect. And then there was a breakthrough. That same James got up one more time and he simply said, God's grace is enough. But to appease the hardline Jewish law Christians, he also said, how about this? Let's allow the Gentiles to become Christians without being circumcised, but with one caveat. Let's ask if they can please, please abstain from eating meat offered to idols, unkosher food, abstain from sinful behavior, Don't abuse your freedom by intentionally offending others. And what emerged from the Jerusalem Council was a remarkable solution from the center, a center that would hold the two polarizing extremes in a creative tension with each other. Yes, Gentiles can become Christians without being circumcised, but they had to live in a way that respected others and themselves in the way they behaved. And when they made that decision, They sent a letter home with each representative. The Bible says there was unity and there was joy in Antioch and in Jerusalem. We are 48 hours now from what has been plainly stated as the most significant election of our lifetime. And we would do well to hear the story of another one of our great spiritual ancestors, John Wesley. I wrote about this in a recent midweek message. In October 1774, John Wesley was preaching in some small English towns near Bristol where a contentious election for parliament was underway. Chief candidates were Edmund Burke and Henry Kruger who differed in their political ideologies, their positions on the American colonies and their support from religious groups. And in his journal, Wesley called it, quote, one of the most exciting elections Bristol has ever had. Sounds familiar, huh? In the days leading up to the election, while he was in the town of Pill, he met with members of the local Methodist society and he offered this important guidance, which he recorded in his journal on October 6, 1774. I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election and advised them, one, to vote without fear or reward for the person they judged most worthy. Two, to speak no evil of the person they voted against, and three, to take care that their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. That is such good advice. Vote for who you think is most worthy. Don't speak evil of the other candidate. Show no animosity to those who voted differently. 246 years later, John Wesley's advice is as helpful now as it was then. Regardless of how ugly and mean-spirited this or any election season becomes, we can model the kind of decency and civility that we expect of those who lead us. Over the next few weeks, we will focus on specific ways to step into this story of God's love for the world. We will talk about having a global impact next week in our Mission Sunday. We'll discover how our financial generosity helps us grow in our faith and in our commitment to Jesus. And we will celebrate that commitment when we turn in our estimate of giving cards on November 22nd. All along the way, let's remember, 
we are part of God's story. And that means we get to model the kind of generosity and faithfulness and decency and civility that the world is craving today. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, on this day of remembering the saints, we give you thanks for the reminder of your expansive and inclusive love. Thank you for those who modeled that love for us. And we pray for those who have yet to experience the fullness of your love for them. Empower us to break down those divisions and make your love real for them. And may we ask your blessing on our elections. May our conduct and our character be in keeping with your call to love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.